come out. Now, we don't think of a lot of our crises that we go through as combat. We don't, like, I'm sure if you ask these gentlemen who served in that, that, that brigade, they don't see what they did as this changed me. They probably didn't even notice the change because it's gradual. But when you look back on the photos, this is just an eight months time. So it's not like I can look back at my photo 12 years ago at my wedding and see that I had a full head of hair. This is, this is a short period of time where there's these drastic changes. Every single one of us, when we go through a time of suffering, will come out feeling different. And that's absolutely okay. Sometimes when I, when I think back of the times I went through some, some, some suffering-ish or crises, I, I have a hard time calling it suffering, the crises that I went through, uh, I always think that, no, no, I'm the same person, but the more I scratch down at the surface, no, it's not true. I'm completely different. I think different. I taste different. I have different uh, preferences. I I talk differently sometimes, and we all change when it comes out of when we come out of it. So what we see in the book of Job is a man who has gone through a version of combat. Right? He's lost everything, from Job chapter one to having it all figured out to Job chapter thirty nine, forty one, and forty forty one. You see a different. Job around. He's changed. And the temptation that I feel that Job might have had is learning to accept the fact that you have changed. Accept the fact that you've been through some seasons and ignoring the shame and thinking that you're somehow valued less because of what might have happened to you or what you might have gone through. So in this last section of Job, and we have this week and next week and left in Job, and as this last section of Job comes along, we find some reminders that we can hold on to when you and I go through a time of suffering and crises, and then when we come out of a time of suffering and crises. These, these promises or these reminders can reassure us, reassure us of our position, our mission, and our calling. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, Job chapter 42. We're going to be in just three verses today, 7 through 9, and we might leak into 10. If we leak into 10 uh, next week, we'll, we'll just have to repeat ourselves. One area where we constantly feel that we're the most changed when we come out of suffering happens to be with who we are or identity. However, here's what I want us to hold on to through this. After a time of suffering, your position and your identity never changes. You are still God's servants. When we go through a difficult season, uh, there are a handful of people who aren't experiencing the same experiences we are. Not to say that they're not sympathetic. They're not present during the painful times. They're great friends. They walk with you through all that season. But no matter how hard they try, no matter how hard your friend or maybe even sometimes your spouse tries to empathize with you and walk through it with you, they will not experience what you're experiencing equally. So you will go through a time where you're changing. They will not fully be able to grasp everything that you're going with. And as a spouse who has walked through with my wife some issues where she's walked through it, it's frustrating on this spouse's end. It's frustrating on her end because sometimes you just can't, you can't feel the same thing. And we see this in Job's story. His friends never really get it. They've tried, but they weren't very good at it, which is why Job ends up calling them, you guys are miserable comforters. He's just being honest with them. Throughout the story, Job changes like we all do, but something about Job never changes. Back in the beginning of the book, 
Remember Job chapter 1. This was the second week of the series. Satan walks into the, the court of heaven, whatever that is, uninvited. He barges in, and then he brings up uh, the, the question that's going to shape the entire book of Job. God, are you good, or, or are people serving you because you're nice to them? And here's what, and, and, and you, God, you're bribing them. And here's what, Job, or what God says to Satan about Job. Now listen to what he calls Job. The Lord said to Satan, Job 1.8, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He's blameless, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. What's the title there for Job? My servant. That's a pretty good title, right? For a human to be called God's servant. Uh, he called him, it's, it's, it's nice. It's the Hebrew word, and we all want to learn a little bit of Hebrew today, right? It's the Hebrew word, yibed. You want to say it? You bet you do. Let's try it. You bet. Oh, good job, folks. It means this. Shockingly, it means a servant. It means a bond servant. It means subject, a servant or worshiper of God. If you follow this word all through Scripture, and if you, have, if you want to do that, I can give you some tools to do that if you want to nerd out a little bit. If you follow it all the way through Scripture, the word transform from Hebrew into Greek and then to Aramaic and then into Greek again, and you see it show up in Romans 1.1, for example, and Paul says this, uh, I am a bed servant, in Greek it would be doulos, of Christ Jesus. The word Paul uses to describe himself on a number of occasions is the same word that God uses to describe Job in the very beginning of the book. That's quite a phrase, right? I'm a bondservant. I work at the pleasure of the Lord. I do his bidding. I'm his person. That's a good title. Now, Job is called my servant, and then Job goes through a version of hell that none of us ever really want to go through. And Job comes out of it. He loses all of his friends. His wife tells him to blame God and die. His friends say, you're to blame. You're the sinner. They start calling him a terrible sinner who doesn't understand what God is like. And all of this misfortune is brought upon himself. Even after a while, their best intentions, with their best intentions in mind, Job probably starts believing the lies that his friends are telling him. So Job, in his mind, probably went from being God's servant to being just a lousy person who brought this all upon himself. However, Job goes through all of this, comes to the end of it. In Job chapter 42, watch this. After the Lord said these things to Job, and this is after God's epic argument about consider everything that I've done and, and all of this. After he says it to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my what? My servant, Job has. One. Uh, verse eight. So now you've, you take seven bulls and seven rams and go to who? My servant. That's two times. Job. He'll pray for you. And I will accept his prayer. Where did I go? And, and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant, Job, that's three, will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth as me, as who? My servant, Job has. Four times, two verses. Job is called what? My servant. Same phrase that's used in the very beginning. Four times in two verses is something that we need to pay attention to. This is telling me, at least when I read this, that Job might have changed, but something about Job hasn't. 
He has gone through everything, but his identity has yet to change. Who God says he is has not changed. You and I can go through whatever we go through, but our identity as God's child, as God's loved, as the one who Jesus died for, never changes. No matter what you do, no matter what, you, no matter what happens to you, no matter what other people do, those instances do not define you. God does. The temptation is to say, I messed up here, therefore I am just a lousy sinner and I can't be redeemed. I'm a terrible person. I have folly. I might as well be like Eliphaz and my three friends. No, that's not the case. Job's identity never changes. The truth is no matter what you've gone through, whether it's your fault or somebody else's, God's thoughts never change. You will always be loved. You will always be his servant. You may change internally, but how God looks at you, how God sees you, will never be switched. It will never alter. You're still his child. You're still loved. Paul talks about this in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is an awesome book. It's split into four parts, and we can get into that in your quiet time. But this is how Ephesians works. Paul mentions something that we have a new identity, which is in Christ. This is the first chapter. Uh, For fun, go through Ephesians chapter 1 and circle all the words in or Christ or in him or in God. This is Paul saying, this is who you are. You are in Christ. You are in God. And then Paul uses this phrase, for we have been adopted into God's family. And we can look at that and go, oh, cool, adoption. Yeah, my friends were adopting their kid. That's a huge phrase in Greek culture, in Paul's culture. Adopted meant this. If I was adopted into the Cole family as a, as a kid, let's, meet, let's just pretend, okay, they would never take me. But if I'm going into here, or the, it, it would mean this. Everything about my past is changed. I have a new name. I, be, I have a new inheritance. Thanks, Dan. I have a new inheritance with this. Uh, uh, all my criminal records are sealed, burnt, and thrown away. I become a new person. Now, here's the catch. If I was naturally born into the Cole clan, they would have the ability and probably would do so to disown me. Right? I mean, yeah, why wouldn't you? Right? They would have the ability to disown me. If I'm adopted into the Cole clan, they can't disown me. No matter how hard they try. This is why this is important, okay? Job has been adopted as God's servant. He is in God's family. And when Paul writes about this, you are in God's family. You have a new identity, which is in Christ. Everything about you is shaped within the lens of Christ. You have been adopted in. You are, you are given an inheritance. You are given in a name. The past sins against you are thrown out, and you will never, ever, 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 ever be disowned. You are still his servant. You get it? So Job is experiencing this. He's gone through a living hell. He has changed, but who hasn't changed? God hasn't changed. His view of him hasn't changed. So when we go through our times, your crisis doesn't change who you are. Your crises don't change what God thinks of you. You are still loved. You are still his. Your identity is secure. What also is secure is your mission We all are given something. Ephesians talks about this. We are brought into God's family. And then it says, for you brought into this family, you have been gifted, and now you will do good things. Okay, that's Ephesians 2, 8, 9, 10, Brad's standard version. 
you are brought into these things, and you are, you are given tasks. We have a mission. Job had the same thing. Job goes through this. His title is still there four times in two verses, my servant Job, and now what doesn't change? His mission. Look again. There's a lot at play here, uh, but it says that Job had, so Job has said 37 chapters being pummeled on how he's not good enough, and then he gets to 42 verse 8. Look what God says. So now, and he's talking to his friends, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job, he's still my servant, and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly, for you have not spoken the truth as to me as my guy Job has. Now, if this is a vindication for, against your friends, I don't know what would be. I, 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 don't you like being told you're right? Okay, here's not some marriage advice. Okay, don't do this. Uh, we'll get in a little uh, discussion is what we tell Judah it is. And uh, we'll be talking about some things. And, and then I know that I'm right, but I just kind of play along. And then at the end of it, Carrie will come back and say, and this happens maybe once out of 10, okay, so it's very rare. She'll come back and say, Brad, you were right, and I pretend like I can't hear. Excuse me? You were right. I try for a third time, and that usually starts a whole other argument where I'm (laughs) wrong. But when she says it, it just feels so nice. And if I'm feeling saucy enough, I'll put my hands up in the air and go, vindication! Yes! And I'll do a little lap around the house. I'll, I'll scream it. And then I'll end up having to apologize. But in that moment, it feels so good. This is what's happening with Job, right? Hey, y'all have been wrong. Go see my servant Job. And Job's probably going, yes. Say it again, God. I didn't hear you the third time. And so Job has been vindicated here. Job has been declared to speak rightly about God. He's right. And now he's stepping into this mission that he has of being God's representative. I wonder if Job kind of stepped back a little bit of what this was. God is doing here, because what God is doing here is setting Job apart from the others. He no longer is just another person. Now he's stepping into an intermediate role between his friends and God. He becomes a mediator. He becomes God's representative. He becomes God's communicator to his friends. Job is guiding his friends in the direction on how to reestablish this relationship with God. In essence, Job is becoming a priest. He's always been a priest, but now there's a title to it. Not only is he a servant, he is now God's representative. Uh, The priests were the designated go-tos between God and people. They were the ones who facilitated the relationship with God. If you really want to have some fun, you can go to the lovely book of Leviticus during your quiet time this week and read chapters 1 through 5, and you'll see the primary functions of what priests do. They oversee the sacrifice. So I'd come to you as a priest, and I'd say, here's what I've done wrong. I think there's probably more, and here's a bowl. Would you sacrifice it? And the priest would go, okay. We're going to do this, and we're going to establish a right relationship between you and God. And they would go through the process. In doing so, they would make an atonement with God. It says this in Leviticus 5.18. They are to bring the priest a guilt offering, a ram uh, from the flock, or one without defect, a a proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for the wrong that was committed 
unintentionally, and they will be forgiven. It is a guilt offering. They have been guilty of wrongdoing before the Lord. And the priest goes to God and makes the relationship better or smooths out the differences. This is something that Job had already been doing in the beginning of the book. You see Job doing this for his kids. He was afraid that his kids may have unintentionally sinned. And so he offers sacrifices on their behalf. But this time, it's different. In Job 1, he's offering sacrifices out of suspicion. In Job 41 or 42, he's now offering sacrifices in response to God's compassion. I'm doing this because I know how loving and good God is, and I'm trying to make the relationship between my friends and God correct. Job becomes the representation of Jesus in the book of Job. One of the things that we always have a hard time with is finding Jesus in obscure books of the Bible, and Job is one of them. But if we want to see a picture of Jesus in Job, look no further than Job himself. Both their names start with J, so that's a good way to start. But here you see him. He becomes Jesus. He becomes the intermediator or the intermediate between God and humans, God and mankind. This is also described in the book of Hebrews. Uh, In Hebrews, Jesus is described as our great high priest who goes between God and humans, who, like Job, stands in the gap between God and humans. Jesus shows us what God is like. Job shows us what God is like so that we can now approach God without fear and not out of suspicion, but in response to compassion. Hebrews says it this way, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we possess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne with grace and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find, the, find grace to help us in our time of need. Job acted like a priest. You and I act like priests too. Just because you've experienced something terrible doesn't mean that your priestly title goes away. You still have it. You've been called, you've been set apart, you are God's servant, and you act as a go-between between God and the people around you. First Peter 2 gives it to us. He says, you are a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what was done to you, if you are in Christ, you are his priest. And a priest today brings people to Jesus. There's a simple way to do this, and Job models it for us. You pray for your friends. How do you bring people to Jesus? Well, sure, there's the obvious where you say, hey, you met my friend Jesus you need to meet him and you tell them about what Jesus has done, but there's the easy way about this. We bring people to the throne of Christ simply by praying for them. You pray for them and when you do so, you intercede on their behalf. You take up their case like Job did with his friends. You take up their case before God and say, God, move in this way, which is exactly what we've been doing at this prayer, prayer gathering on Wednesdays. God, this is my friend. They need this. Would you move in this way? We are interceding. We are becoming the go-between for God and our friends. We are becoming their priest. Your identity doesn't change. 
your mission doesn't change, your role doesn't change, and neither should we think it does. And the last thing that doesn't change is you still point people to God. Yes, you are the in-between between for God and Jesus, and you are an intermediator, but you point people to a true conception of who God is. Uh, Job 42, 7, Then the Lord said these things to Job, uh, to, to Eliphaz the, term, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends, and here's why. Because you have not spoken the truth about me, as my servant Job has. We can turn on the news a lot, and there's a word that keeps popping up this week, misinformation. Have you heard of it? It's everywhere, right? Disinformation, misinformation, fake news, however it is. But what we see here is Job's friends possessed a level of misinformation when it came to God. They spoke incorrectly about who God was. They said that God was vengeful. They said that God was, was constantly uh, trying to get bribe you to do these things, or if you didn't sin, that God would do this. And they presented a screwed-up theology of who God was. This is what the whole book's about. And the biggest disinformation case that we have going around right now is what you and I and even people who don't believe in Jesus think about God. Job however, was declared right in his thinking about God. Job spread the truth. And when Job spreads the truth about God, it allows his friends around him to be transformed by God. In 2 Corinthians, you see this Paul's talking about a veil and with unveiled faces. And he says, we approach God and then we come back with veils. And he's alluding to what happens to Moses in the book of Exodus, that when Moses spends a lot of time with God face to face, he comes back transformed. And when Moses took the veil off, everyone was like, whoa, you look way different. Put it back on. We're scared of you. And so Paul says, now we can approach God with unveiled faces so that we will be transformed into who God wants us to be, which is the whole point of following Christ. And Paul says, we'll be transformed from glory to glory. Now, here's why I tell you this. If you're following a wrong view of God and you go to be transformed by this wrong view of God, will you be transformed into the true version of God? No. Some of us in our faith have fallen for a misinformation campaign about God. We believe lies that God says, uh, uh, that we, we believe lies that are told to us about God. And so we start pursuing the lie about God, and what really happens is we miss and we're not pursuing what God is truly like. We're pursuing what God is a lot, what someone has lied to us about God. And then we wonder why there's no transformation happening. Why? You're not pursuing what God is really like. We start, we start saying things that we assumed that were true, and so we, we don't transform at all. Job even fell for these misconceptions. But at the end of the book, he starts saying, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I was, I was wrong in the way I was thinking about you. Now I'm going to pursue you for who you really are, God. I'm going to pursue not another misconception about you, but I'm going to pursue the truth about you. Here are some misconceptions. And it's not just non-Christians who fall for these. Christians fall for these. A misconception is this, that God always agrees with your lifestyle or your opinion. Is that true? No. Not at all. That God agrees with a certain way that I, that I live, 
uh, even when I know that it's not, and even, that, that even though I know the Bible says it doesn't work that way, does God agree with me because it's 2020 now and this was written back in, you know, B.C. sometime? No. God hasn't changed in his definition of what sin is. Or we think that God votes like us. First of all, God doesn't vote. He doesn't vote like you. He's not Democrat, Republican, Green, Libertarian, or whatever. He doesn't vote like you. So we can't put our God in our political box and say God is this way. We can't say that God thinks like us. No, God thinks. He doesn't think like us. We can't even say that God looks like us. All of these are misconceptions about who God is. And when we end up following what we think about God rather than who God actually is, we miss out on being transformed into his likeness. Because instead of being transformed into his likeness, we have transformed God into our likeness, which does absolutely nothing for you. And so to address this misconception, Job speaks the truth about God. Speaking the truth is one of the hardest things to do in our world today. What's the truth? No one wants to hear it. It's offensive. It makes people uncomfortable. Why? Because you're tearing down the misconceptions they might have either about themselves or about God. And now they actually have to, we, I'm throwing us into it, we actually have to change. And it's hard. But our role is to speak the truth about God. So not only does Job speak the truth about God, but in doing so, he gives his friends a chance to actually be transformed. Job has proven something about God. He's proven that God is faithful. He's proven that God is just. He's proven that God is kind and loving. Job's confession says it all. I know that you can do all things, and I know that no purpose of yours will ever be thwarted. Jesus has this question of the disciples, and we look at it a little suspiciously because it it comes out a little weird in a weird spot in the Gospels, but he says, hey, I know what these other people are saying about me. That doesn't matter. Who do you say I am? And then Peter answers, you're the Messiah. And then, he, cool, you got that right, but how does that change? So we know what other people say about God. The, the question is, who do you say God is? Are you chasing down a misconception about who God is because it makes you feel comfortable and safe? Or are you chasing down the true God who won't make you feel comfortable, but who will lead you to safety because you can be trusted? We change when we go through things. What changes most is how we view who God is in our life. And we address those misconceptions. And when we see that God hasn't changed and that God is still good and just, our calling to bring people towards him doesn't change. In fact, it enhances. And then we begin to see ourselves as his servant. One of the closing stories in the Gospels is the story in the end of John, and it's Peter. And Peter had had a rough couple days, right? Uh, he was told that he wasn't going to deny Jesus. And then that night, he's standing by a campfire, and someone says, hey, you were with Jesus. And he goes, uh-uh. And then he moves on, and then the next couple minutes, a few minutes later, someone says, you were with Jesus. He goes, never heard of him. And then the last time he says, I don't even know the man. And then the rooster crows and he remembers that Jesus said that he was going to deny him three times. And so now he's embarrassed. And then Jesus dies and he never has this chance to like fix it. 
So a few days later, Jesus has risen, and Peter, you can get the sense that Peter's kind of a little nervous on how to be around Jesus. And so Jesus has risen, he's come to the room. A few days later, the disciples, they don't know what to do with their lives because they've just gone through something and they feel totally different. So what do they do? They go back to doing what they were doing before Jesus, which is fishing, which is something that we want to go back to. When we go through something, we don't really know how to interact with God. So let's just go back to the way things were and let's start over. And so they're fishing again. And that, and that morning, Jesus comes up and he's back to his old tricks and he stands on the shore. And this is reminiscent of how the gospels first started with, with, uh, in the beginning of Luke. And he goes, you guys catch anything yet? And like most fishermen, they say, no. Okay. Why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And then they do. And then they start hauling in this massive load of fish and then they catch it. Hey, this has happened before. Jesus did this like three years ago. And Peter looks and they recognize that it's Jesus. And instead of helping his buddies pull in the load of fish that they got, Peter jumps out and swims to shore. And he has this interaction with Jesus, which is redeeming. And then they're sitting there eating breakfast, the fish breakfast, which, okay, that seems odd. But if there's bacon and eggs involved, we're good. And fish we'll just throw in there. But they're having this fish breakfast and Jesus and Peter are talking And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter goes, yeah, cool, feed my sheep. A few minutes later, they're talking a little bit more, and and Jesus looks at Peter again and goes, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, awesome, take care of my sheep. Okay, weird. And then again, a few minutes later, Jesus looks at Jesus and, hey, Peter, do do you love me? Now you can get, we can get into the whole, the, the different words of love there. And Peter says, yeah, I like you at the end. I, I'm fond of you. And, and, and Jesus goes, cool, feed my sheep. Three times Jesus reintroduces Peter back to his primary goal, which is what? Re- feeding his sheep. You're no longer a fisherman here. Don't go back to the way things were. You are still called to be my disciple here. Your role is still secure. Peter, you denied me three times. How many times did I redeem you? Three times. You said you didn't know me. I called you to feed my sheep the equal times. So there's, there's an erasing happening there between the two of them. Peter's called back to his original position. The situation changed Peter a lot. But Peter's still the same. His mission is still the same. On Peter, he will build This church is what Jesus eventually goes to say. You and I have gone through a lot, whether it's in the past year, two years, three years, five years ago, whatever. We've been through a ton. We could probably all write a book about it. We feel different. God still loves you. God still calls you. God still is going to use you. And the mission that he gave you back in the beginning he says, feed my sheep, still stands. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that no matter what we go through, no matter what happens to us, your opinion of us never changes. You still love us. You're still fond of us. You still call us. You still want to use us. In fact, what we've gone through maybe enhances the way that we're going to serve you because now we serve you not out of suspicion but in view of your compassion. And so, God, we do thank you for your unending love. That you are good. 
and we can believe in that goodness and we can trust in that goodness that you won't leave us high and dry. You won't disown us because of something. And we thank you that you've called us. And in your name we pray.